Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post podcast. David Branch, welcome to Off the Post. How are you? Couldn't be better. Thank you. Couldn't be better. That's quite the response. <laughs> well, it's Friday, and uh, it's usually one of the busiest uh, nights in terms of game action. Yes. And uh, that's the best part of uh, the game of hockey is uh, the games. So I, I enjoy the weekends and the opportunity to hopefully get out and see a few games. And certainly, we're so very fortunate that uh, the majority of Virtually 100% of our games are broadcast uh, on uh, Rogers or Rogers Sportsnet, Kojiko, Shaw, all those wonderful uh, outlets that we're very fortunate to have, and they're all live streamed. So it's a far departure from the early days when you <laughs> wonder, oh, who won tonight? And, uh, and the like. Uh, information flow now is so much better, and it really helps us as a league. Well, and you've been commissioner since 1979. That's that that's a lot of change, and you've been president since of of the CHL since '96. Like, do you even remember what it was like when you first started? Like, you know, from you know a marketing perspective, from just you know a team perspective, player perspective. Like, does it just seem like a completely different world? Most definitely a completely different world, and I I remember it very very clearly because <clears throat> when I sat down with the uh, executive of the time of the league, uh, which was 12 teams, um, the, the, the areas that they really, you know, agreed we must address was uh, the life of the student athlete. How do we make it better? How do we support our student athletes better? Because back in 79-80, as you point out, when I commenced, you know, junior hockey conjured up images uh, among most people, and not necessarily totally wrong that, hey, if you play right. junior hockey, you don't go to school. Yeah. And then the other image was, wow, violence and yes. all those other things. So those were two of the pillars that the uh, owners uh, really challenged that we move forward and address. And the third one uh, is the league was largely devoid of any sponsors. And uh, so at any rate, I mean... Uh, it was a great agenda, you know, and uh, I can remember when I started uh, with the league, I came over from Hockey Canada of the day, and my dad said to me, you know, Dave, are you sure that you want to do this? Because the league had been going through some issues and challenges with its previous commissioner and one thing and another. And my view was that they have to make me work. 
they can't afford to have another situation blow up. And uh, I take great, great pride that if there's been right decisions along the way that I've made, certainly that was one of them. And I, I can't, uh, couldn't have asked for more cooperation and support. They recognized that they had some challenges and issues that we all had to work on and foster and, and develop. And uh, interestingly enough, I mean, on the sponsorship side of things, when I started, as I mentioned, 12 teams, of the 12 teams, 11 had no uh, sponsorship support system. Who was the one team that did? Toronto Marlboros. Oh, all interesting. They had a gentleman, Frank Manello, who was the GM, had Sam McMaster, who was just getting his weak feet wet, so to speak, in the hockey industry. He okay. subsequently evolved and came into our league as yep. a general manager and then went to the National Hockey League. And, and Sam... Uh, was working uh, with the Marlboros to try and generate awareness and sponsorship to get people in Maple Leaf Gardens of the day. So I, I uh, quickly saw that and went back to the owners and said, listen, if you want to have sponsorship, we've got to have a delivery system. We don't have one at the team level. And that's where sponsors want to be. So you know what? Uh, it took time, but teams responded. They built out their respective marketing departments and uh, communications department came a little bit later, but uh, it, it really worked extremely well, even to the point where it actually caused problems for the league uh, later in our evolution because uh, the teams have done such a great job with local sponsorship that it made it difficult, does make it difficult for us to bring some sponsors from the top. Down. Right, yeah. But uh, great Let, cooperation wherever possible, and, and it's you know been a, a real fun experience. Yeah, well, let's we'll talk about growing junior hockey uh, in a minute, but I want to touch on a couple of your personal uh, experiences because there hasn't been much written about you, your personal, and I don't want to say personal life, but sort of your beginnings in hockey. Uh, also, not not a ton, you know, broadcast about you. Like, there's not much information out there. But one thing I found was that you got a scholarship at the University of Massachusetts Amherst. I'm curious, what what type of player were you when you played college hockey? I thought I was great. Yeah, <laughs> did did the rest of the world wasn't necessarily shared. <laughs> yeah, I, were you a tough guy? Were you a skilled guy? Uh, I thought I was skilled, which probably many people suggested otherwise. You know, uh, I loved the physicality of the game of the time. Uh, you know, I had my moments and and so forth. And uh, I think it was really, in many ways, a good way for me to uh, understand the game and what players go through and, and some of the challenges you face. But to your point, I uh, background, um, I mean, you know, I was born in Bathurst, New Brunswick, and uh, my family moved to Toronto when I was uh, at a very young age. The good thing is they used to ship me back every summer, so I really had a great opportunity to connect with my uh, relatives. Oh, that's uh, interesting. Yeah, live on the farm with my uncle Billy. Uh, uh, on and on and on. So I, I had a great time. What did they have you do there? Were you like uh, I throwing think, hay around? Were you? Well, actually, that was one of them. That's when I found <laughs> out. You know, hey, this is well, not what I wanted to. Hey, hey, isn't soft and, and nice. I mean, it, it used to cut the heck out of your hands. But yeah, I remember that was one of my jobs, just walking while uh, 
my cousin drove the tractor and we used to throw hay up on the on the wagon and stuff like that and cleaning out. There was a, a dairy farm, you know. Okay. And and there was some fruit and vegetables and things like that, but it was a great learning experience. And uh, well, the you know you see it all the time in hockey. Farm boys, quote unquote, are excellent workers. Are guys that are low maintenance, and it translates to a lot of walks of life. Like if you're <laughs> most farmers of grind away and, and there's not much uh, yeah. uh, glory in it but you know when they transition into other roles they seem to excel well it, it, I hope I'm a, an example of that <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah so that was a great I had a great upbringing played minor hockey in Toronto played a little bit of junior hockey in Toronto uh, you know what and, and the great thing that uh, I felt about myself is I knew that I wasn't going to be a professional hockey player which was a, a goal and a dream so I uh, I uh, went to university as you described and uh, had a great a great experience. Wouldn't trade it for anything. And uh, did you play with anyone that, that people would know? What was no, your team like? You see, uh, back then UMass was a what they called D two. Okay. Or now in today's yeah. uh, jargon D three. So there was no the, the great the big athlete on campus when I was there, was a basketball player by the name of Julius Irving. Oh, he's all right. Dr. J. So Did you know him personally or not? Got to know him. Actually. Really? Interesting. Yeah, yeah, and he was a wonderful person and uh, just an incredible athlete. And I didn't know basketball that well, but I used to watch the games. I used to watch the practices just to watch him. And I, I used to think, wow, this guy's this guy's got to be special. Yeah. And uh, he turned out to be very, very special. <laughs> no kidding. That... That's an interesting fact that we've stumbled upon. I had no idea that you uh, you would interact with a with a guy like him. What was was he like a big deal at the school where you'd walk around and everyone would be talking about him, or was he just sort of one of just a basketball player? No, you know what what happened was uh, he initially was just another uh, student student athlete, and back in the day, the big tournament for college basketball wasn't the final four or whatever you know they refer yeah. to now it was the uh nit in new york and uh, julius went there with umass unheralded the big basketball player of the day was pistol pete maravich mm-hmm. and he he was a national national awareness about him of course and julius was only uh, a sophomore and uh in my humble opinion, because a bunch of us went to New York to watch it, he was the best player. Mm-hmm. And then, wow, it exploded. And then came a number of things at Julius, uh, which I know he struggled with a bit uh, around the ABA and leaving university. Uh, and uh, he, he made the choice to uh, you know, be a hardship case, as they called it back then, and joined the ABA mm-hmm. uh, after his sophomore year. So, I mean... There wasn't a lot of, uh, like a real window of time for him to be the guy. But I think in 2017, everyone would know all about him. Like the, the raw skill and the yeah. the talent. Like that, those type of things just go viral now, right? So Without question, I was listening to the commissioner of the NBA last night. It blew me away. They have a billion, 300 million uh, followers. Yeah. Uh, They're really good on social media. They are the best. Yeah. And uh, I'm fascinated uh, with the work that he's done and uh, the work they do. And I think they're an example of, uh, you know, for all sport at all levels, quite frankly, 
in my humble opinion, to try and fall. Yeah, let's talk about growing junior hockey because it's obviously a special thing in Canada. It's obviously it obviously has its following, but it's not you know at the same level of interest as say college football in the states. Like I feel like it has the potential, maybe one day, to be Canada's version of that. But I don't know really how you get there. Like, how do you? I think it's drumming up, from my opinion, drumming up support locally, and somehow converting that into national interest. Um, but what? How do you see? You know, the Canadian Hockey League, the Ontario Hockey League, uh, progressing and gaining more traction. Well, I think you've described. Assuming that you want that to happen, I would. I would imagine you oh, want it to grow. Absolutely. I mean, I, I believe your description of it is is accurate. I mean, our strength remains. In the local markets, and, and hey, that's where it starts, and that's where we must be. Uh, I believe uh, on a regional basis, the OHL brand is probably the second strongest hockey brand in the province, second only to the National Hockey League. So we've taken no, you're some definitely st- right. Yeah, taken some steps. Uh, I mean, uh, the national perspective is something that remains a challenge and one that. Uh, is there and recognized, and I think that uh, the CHL now, you know, recognizes the importance of now raising the level of our game here, and we're challenging ourselves in many different ways and how we do that, and I think once we start to uh, move forward with some plans and initiatives, uh, it will serve the best interests of growing that awareness, and then there will be some trickle-down effect for sure, but... Uh, uh, I, I mean, the thing that we see, too, with our fans that is a great piece, but also I think, you know, impacts at times adversely is our fans are extremely loyal yes. and passionate. So, you know, when the Kitchener Rangers aren't playing anymore, uh, they lose out in the second round of the playoffs, generally the Kitchener Ranger fans stop you know, paying attention. They, yeah. they shut it down. Yeah. Wait till next year. And so we've got to work to engage how we can get our fans to continue to ride the wave and enjoy it uh, post, shall we say, when their team's out. And quite frankly, look beyond their own team uh, during the regular season as well. So it's, it's, uh, it's coming. Yeah, and there's obviously a lot of interest in NHL prospects. That's probably an area um, that would be worth putting resources behind. But at the same time, like you mentioned, your hardcore fans are plugged into their team and then the rest is sort of noise. I just don't know how you transition from that to caring about the rest of the league. Uh, you know, let's say someone in Barry uh, goes to 10 games a year. So they're not hardcore season ticket holder, uh, but th- they like the league. Like, I just do you have any ideas on how to tr- how to to turn that 10-game Colts fan into a fan of the Ontario Hockey League, of the Canadian Hockey League? Like, what do you think needs to, to be done there? Well, I think like most leagues, uh, we're addressing and looking at the millennials and how we engage them for sure going forward. You touched on something uh, about, you know, the prospects. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can recall vividly, you know, when uh, John Tavares was the very first exceptional player. Yes, yes. Uh, Sitting with uh, Barb and Joe Tavares and Johnny, you know, we pledged as a league that, listen, we're going to support his uh, coming into the league, but we're not going to we're not going to tr- 
you know, try and leverage John and mm-hmm. put more pressure on him than he's already going to have. Uh, he's 15 at this point, right? He's 15. Yeah. Did the same thing with Ekblad and the same thing with McDavid. You know, and I take pride in the fact that, you know, if you check back, we didn't as a league try and push out some of these incredible young talents. Uh, and maybe we should have, but I still don't believe it's yeah. right. It's, okay? a, it's a fine line, right? It, it is. It is. And, and I mean, uh, the teams do a, uh, a very good job in that they're tasteful, and we all agree that we must serve to protect their best interests, okay? So, you know, you, you, you've got a, some balancing there because star players, no question, uh, drive the market in so many different ways in terms of creating awareness, getting some new fans, getting some old fans back, you know, to watch the game and, and so on and so forth. So we're very fortunate. Uh, we've got an incredible, you know, array of, of very gifted and skilled uh, hockey players. And so uh, we uh, have come a long way. And when I look at how far we've come, I, I feel it makes us uh, feel comfortable going forward that we'll continue to find ways to take our game to the next level here. But we've got to bring that balance because we're trading on young people. And they've got to go to school. They've got to live a, a normal life. Yes, quote-unquote normal life if you're... Correct. Yeah. You know, there's some great benefits, but also, you know, you've got to make sure that they don't lose perspective. And yep. I always remember... Uh, following the National Awards Banquet in Quebec City, I was uh, went up and I, I talked to uh, the McDavid's. And, yes. And, and uh, of course, Connor was there standing with them. He was Player of the Year. He was this Scholastic Player of he, the Year. He had like every trophy possible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and I, I, I looked at the parents and Brian and Kelly, and I said, you know what, guys? Uh, I, I just want to say, uh, you know, I, I can't applaud the work you've done as parents, not in raising a hockey player, but in raising a special young person who just carries himself so well. And, you know, almost there's no entitlement here. You know, he's so humble, you know, there's no ego that he you know gives you. And, and it was really interesting because, uh, you know, Mrs. McDavid said, well, you, you know, uh, Dave, Connor doesn't have an ego, you know. Which, on one hand, was accurate, and Connor, being the type of person he is, yes. said, Mom, I do have an ego. Just doesn't uh, Just doesn't show he it. He knows yeah. how to check it, right? Yeah. And that's the great thing that I think you see where hockey players, uh, more often than not, represent that type of person. And uh, I do believe, and many, many others have expressed this, uh, the fact that the best professional athletes uh, tend to be hockey players. And I think it's their upbringing with their families, the game right from when they commence minor hockey and the experience in our league as we serve to support them and train them uh, in uh, many different ways to, to ensure that uh, they don't put all their eggs in one basket here as a hockey player. And to t- let's talk about the exceptional status rule and, and the regulations. And I realize it's, it's actually Hockey Canada that makes the decision, correct? What happened uh, is that going back on the John Tavares uh, situation, uh, we had developed with Hockey Canada through meetings of what we called the Canadian Development Model Committee. Uh, we were trying to slow down the steps of players, you know, coming through the system. Yep. You know, it's not the destination, it's the journey. 
and, and everything else. We had what we felt were far too many 16-year-old players playing junior hockey okay. across the country. In fact, when I say junior, you know, CHL, Tier 2, Junior B, mm-hmm. Junior C, when we started out, there was over 1,300 16-year-old players playing, and that was adversely impacting minor hockey as well. We put in certain rules to try and slow that down, and I'm proud of the fact that this committee together, we developed uh, you know regulations where we cut it in half in one year. We also said no 15-year-olds shall play uh, junior hockey, save and accept an exceptional 15-year-old can play in the CHL. So and basically that got the ball rolling, this, that, this conversation? Right. And, yeah, okay. and so what happened within a couple years, along comes John Tavares. Mm-hmm. And I can remember phoning Bob Nicholson, the then president of Hockey Canada, and I said, hey, Bob, what's the process here to determine whether a guy is exceptional or not? And we both agreed there really wasn't one put in place. So Bob was good enough to say to us as the OHL, hey, Dave, you guys go ahead and see what you can put together. And, and I said, great. And I said, Bob, before we move, I'll come back to you just to make sure we're comfortable. So we developed the process of analyzing uh, any applicant, not based on hockey. Uh, obviously, that was a criteria, yeah. but the key was level of maturity, schooling, support system that he had, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Came back and uh, Bob said, hey, I like it. We put John through the test. He, he passed with flying colors. I remember Doug Gilmore, I uh, asked Doug to, to sit on the very first committee. Interesting. And I said, Doug, all I want from you is, in your opinion, to judge whether or not John Tavares, as a 15-year-old, can play junior hockey. You lived it. Mm-hmm. That's all. Simple task, yeah. And right away, Doug said, Dave, no way. Yeah. He, he can't play at 15. I really? Said, fine. I thought really? that's that's what you want. Yeah. Uh, hey, and what what you feel? Great. We went through the committee, uh, the, the interview with John and his family, and, and then Doug. And there, there's like a psychologist yes. involved, and Dr. Paul Dennis. It uh, sounds like a pretty uh, extensive process to figure out what this, how this kid ticks, and and the maturity level, and without question. Yeah. And, and, it was, and we had to make sure. We had to make sure. So Doug grabbed me after the first interview, and he said, Dave. This guy, you know, he's he's twenty five, he's thirty five. Yeah, you know. Anyhow, we uh, John was successful in the uh, process. At which time we, as the OHL, then went to Hockey Canada, and I said, "Hey, Bob, I'd like to hand this over to you now, because I think it's important that it's a CHL committee." Yeah. Because we were reacting. We had a, a window of about two months uh, prior to the OHL priority selection to see if if John would be. Uh, be identified as being eligible and, and so forth. Because my, my fear was, uh, optically, it may look like we were self-serving. And mm-hmm. we took some criticism when we accepted John. A lot of detractors, no way you can play. Ah, the OHL is just doing this to, you know, uh, trade on. Maybe it. maybe attract them away from the NCAA or whatever. That, I'm sure that, there were was that narrative. Absolutely. Yeah. So at any rate, when people saw John, they knew that wasn't the case. I was concerned about the application where we would say no. And that player at age 15 and his family might say, oh, the heck with the OHL. I'm not going to go to the OHL. You're going to come here at 16? Not a chance, you know. So we, we passed it over to Hockey Canada. They took the exact model. And uh, I believe the model has worked exceptionally well. So 
that's a good pun right there. <laughs> um, Ekblad, obviously, you know, flying colors again, like Tavares, McDavid. Don't need to get into that. That was obviously a great success. Sean Day and Joe Valeno. Do you look back on those guys and go, we made the right decision? Well, I, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty vision. Yeah. Okay. First of all, at the time, uh, everything I knew and heard and seen for for both of these individuals, uh, you know, they were exceptional. Uh, I think Sean and I, Joe, I, I'm not as close to. Right. Uh, but certainly, he has been a force, and and uh, maybe not at the level of a Tavares. And I don't want to say it at McDavid because he's at a special Yeah, level. it's hard to yeah. put anyone on his pedestal. But, you know, uh, Sean uh, is, is, I think, an uh, incredible skater. There's things that he can do uh, as a skater that not many can. And for a big, big person, holy cow. And, and while he hasn't maybe evolved the way many thought, he's been very, very strong in terms of his presence and contributions and was a big factor in Windsor winning winning the Master Fired Memorial Cup last year. And I really believe Sean will be a, a professional player. And uh, I see an incredible transformation in Sean as a person in such a positive way. So uh, I wouldn't fault any of the players that have been identified. And I know and, and, and I know there's been those that have applied that haven't been yeah. successful, which uh, that's part of the process. Yeah, there's a reason why you have you right. know this long process. You're going to turn people down because otherwise, why you why do you have it, right? Correct. And so you're not discouraged right now about the exceptional status. Like it's sort of business as usual. If someone wants to apply, you're happy to to take their case. Absolutely, uh, I believe in the process. I mean, one of the things I find in life, period, yeah, is. Uh, in so many different ways, whether it's at school, uh, you know, in, in, on the playing fields, uh, some people have a hard time dealing with exceptional people. Yep. And uh, jealousy and, and whatnot. All, Is that those, what yeah. all those type of things, right? And and you know what, I want to deal with it. And you know what, uh, that isn't the way to do it. And personally, I embrace uh, the the fact that you get an opportunity to be around exceptional people from time to time. And uh, I can remember, too, as we talk, talked about John Tavares being the, the uh, ex- first exceptional player, sitting there with John and his family after he had been accepted. And I said, now, we have coined this, you know, exceptional player. Do you have a problem with that word? Is there a better word, you know, <laughs> than in your mind? Because we were kind of... Yeah, it is hard to find the right word. John said, you know what? I'm fine with it. Yeah. And well, you're making an exception, so like literally, yeah. it does make sense. Yeah, <laughs> I suppose. So anyhow, yeah, it's a it's it's a great opportunity to to be around some exceptional people for sure. We'll get back to the show in a moment. First, a message brought to you by Indochino, the largest made-to-measure menswear brand in the world. Now, I'm a pretty casual guy. I'll go for jeans and a t-shirt over shirt and tie most days. But there's still weddings, there's still formal events, so I've always had to have a suit, at least one, maybe two. In the past, it was always a hassle getting a suit, but with Indochino, I got an hour with a stylist, he took every measurement you can think of, answered all my dumb questions, and left satisfied. Three weeks later, in the mail, I received my new shirt. Indochino is making it easy to get a perfectly tailored suit at an incredible price. You can choose from hundreds of top quality products and personalize your suit just the way you want it. Here's how it works. Visit a showroom or shop online at Indochino.com. 
Pick your fabric, choose your customizations, submit your measurements, place your order, and it will arrive in the mail within a few weeks. This week, my listeners can get any premium Indochino suit for just $499 Canadian at Indochino.com. All you have to do is enter the code off the post at checkout. That's off the post, no spaces. That's up to 50% off the regular price for a made-to-measure premium suit. That's Indochino.com, promo code off the post for any premium suit for just $4.99 Canadian plus free shipping. Really, it's an incredible deal for a suit that will fit you better than anything off the rack ever could. All right, let's get back to business. Let's talk about a topic that's newsworthy right now. The NHL is not going to the Olympics. Uh, Team Canada, or Hockey Canada, I should say, is looking into NCAA players, European-based pros, CHL players. There's been some reports of, of you know you and Tom Rennie or, or whoever from the league who is talking to Tom Rennie aren't on the same page about this. Do you mind setting the record straight? Are CHL players allowed from the league's perspective to go to the Olympics? Yeah, it's a great question. I'm glad you brought it up, actually, John. I mean, first of all, uh, Tom Rennie uh, is president of Hockey Canada. Uh, he, uh, he's a great hockey person. He's mm-hmm. a real good leader. And uh, he's been right up front with us. Uh, we've had uh, several discussions. The, the last face-to-face discussion was in uh, the middle of September. Okay. And uh, we expressed some concern about that junior age player who plays in the world junior and then subsequently would go to the Olympics. Yes. If that should be the case. Understanding that... There may not be any. If there's going to be any, be very, very few. And and we just put forward, can you identify those that you want to go to the Olympics, but they then don't play the World Junior? Otherwise, you know, the team uh, loses that star player for... Two months, maybe. Two months, close to it. Minimum, you know. And and maybe longer because, you know, going through the emotional uh, roller coaster that you would uh, for such a special moment, uh, you know, it's going to take time for the player to recover. So at any rate, long story short, uh, Tom and Hockey Canada didn't favor that, which we understood. Uh, our view, our position is that we would never stop a player from going to the Olympics. I mean, what a special opportunity. Uh, we just hope there will be every discretion used, and and I, we have every confidence that will be the case. So the reports that came out, uh, both Tom and I, uh, that they came out on a Saturday night, uh, and then Sunday morning, Tom and I chatted. And he called me, and he was really aghast. And I said, yeah, I think the word that from from what I uh, how I interpreted um, the the whole story or the narrative is that the word battle was used, and that was what Tom Rennie didn't like. Right. Um, and and sorry, I'll let you continue. But just to give some context, was that sort of he called and said, "Are we in a battle? Like, is that, is that sort of what it what it started out as?" He didn't have to say that. Yeah, he knew full well. Uh, he, he just couldn't believe, nor could I, that the word battle was was utilized as it was. And uh, you know, fortunately, it didn't get you know a lot of uh, play, shall mm-hmm. we say? Uh, but that is not the case, you know. And and we'll we'll see how things start. To evolve here and uh, you know we provide players for the under 18 we've got players leaving early in November for you know 10 days or thereabouts for the world 
Hockey Challenge, uh, 23 players alone from the OHL. I think it's 66 from the CHL. Uh, we do the uh, under-18 program, the World Championships, uh, the Ivan Halinka. We do, of course, the World Junior. We've always been there to support. And it's a special experience for some of our players. And I think the other thing when it comes back to the Olympics, uh, we have maybe some of our import players who will be called yeah. to play. Yeah, it's and possible. And they'll be going. I mean, so do, does it come down to you guys want to be in the conversation? It does. You're not trying to to roadblock or trying to step in anyone's way. It's more, hey, let's talk about uh, why you're picking this guy and if he's going to the World Juniors as well. Like how lo- how long and how much of an impact is this going to have on the team? Uh, you talking about the World Juniors? Well, I'm talking about the Olympics and the World Juniors. Yeah. Like just your your. Um, place, I guess, in, in this situation with, with CHL players and the Olympics? Like, is your place basically uh, just a seat at the table? Like, ultimately, you guys can't go, no, 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 that guy can't, uh, you know, go overseas. Like, it's, it's really up to the player, is it not? Yeah, I, I think uh, we're partners with Hockey yeah. Canada. And uh, we've developed a great partnership. Uh, our role with the Olympics, it's really more courtesy that, that Tom and company are keeping us in the loop. And uh, we, like I said earlier, John, we would never stand in the way of yeah. a player going, you know. I mean. What an opportunity it would be. Oh, my goodness. I, I, you know what? I uh, The thing that I always take great pride in is being able to look at every kid that's ever played in our league and know that from a league perspective, we've done everything we possibly can to support them. And whether they go to pro, whether they go to youth sport, whether they go to Europe to play, you name it. And uh, you know what? That's that's what it's all about. Yeah. Um, so that's perfect transition. Let's talk about player rights. And I know you, you probably can't speak uh, to many details because there's, there's a lawsuit um, up in the air right now. But generally speaking, what is the league's stance on uh, paying players, on – um, what they should receive for for their uh, involvement in the league, and uh, where you see this going as 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 a situation, because um, it's 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 not going to go away anytime soon unless there's some sort of sort of resolution where both sides are happy with with what's I don't know if compensate is the right word, but what what players are uh, are receiving from the league. Yeah, I, I mean, first of all, it's, it's an important question. Uh, I of course cannot speak about. The lawsuit, uh, it's in the courts. Uh, uh, it'll be there for several years by all accounts, according to uh, our lawyers. Um, but, you know, in life, uh, and in this situation is no different, you seize opportunities uh, to hopefully have people listen, uh, whereas maybe they didn't before as to what we do for the players in particular who are the most important people in the game. And so this particular situation has given us, in many ways, a platform we've not been able to develop and generate and have to explain what we provide to players. And I mean, uh, we our scholarship program is second to none. Last year, we had over 300 players playing uh, youth sport on scholarship. Uh, you know, their education being paid for uh, in 57 different institutions uh, in North America. And the great thing about our our scholarship is it's completely, I'll use the word portable, 
but I mean, if you wish to go to firefighter school, yep. if you wish to go to uh, become an airplane pilot, if mm-hmm. you want to become a police officer, a tradesperson. It's not just university. It's just yeah. not about doctors, lawyers, and dentists, which are important, of course. <laughs> but I mean, our, our alumni become leaders in so many different ways at, at, at various levels uh, in our respective communities. When a player plays in our league, uh, there, there are no costs to him. He's billeted, all his meals, all his travel, all his equipment. I mm-hmm. mean, can you imagine? I mean, as a parent, uh, and I lived it, I, I coached uh, minor hockey up until two years ago, uh, and then had three boys go through the system. I mean, the last time I coached two years ago, AAA program, okay? Yeah. Uh, in Whitby, right? In Whitby, correct, yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, the cost of families would be anywhere from fifteen to $20,000 because we worked hard to try and keep costs down. You would hear programs where it could be forty dollars or $50,000, not because, you know, it's elaborate, but because of maybe the geographic situation and travel and yep. other things associated. Well, sticks in general, like if we can just even focus on sticks or hundreds of dollars. So I, I understand, yeah. yeah, you guys are providing a lot of equipment. So sure. at any rate, as a parent, you're paying $40,000 and then uh, play minor hockey, come to the old, there's no costs. All equipment is provided. Um, and I, I think that, uh, you know, we, we can put a value on what we do provide them through uh, pay all their education costs while they're playing in our league, and that, that's not in any way uh, factored against their scholarship that they get post if they don't play professional hockey, or play in the NHL, rather. But, um, you know, it's anywhere forty to $45,000 each year that a player realizes, uh, you know, directly and indirectly, I suppose, when you consider uh, the expense allowances and other things that they receive, and then, of course, there's all the support programs. And then, of course, there's the professional coaching they receive and the facilities. And, you know, you, you, we talked earlier about the growth of our game. Uh, one of the things that we've been very fortunate on is how our communities across the province have responded with new or refurbished facilities. Yep. They're outstanding because originally we were facing back in, when I first started buildings that were largely built as memorials to, uh, you know, those who fought in the uh, Second Great World War. And you guys, as a league, didn't have any leverage because you're, you know, a 12-team league that maybe isn't doesn't have the same uh, strength as it does now. But, yeah, you look around the league, every rink is uh, is a top facility, at least off the top of my head. <laughs> yeah, no, it really is. You yeah. know, I mean, the, the evolution there has been incredible. And that was not through demands. Uh, it was just about people recognizing the need to, to make sure because the the value of a OHL franchise to the community is, is huge in terms of the economic impact, uh, you know, with business and awareness and, and all those things and the pride. So we, we've we got great relationships with our communities and our, our facilities and, and everything else. So, I mean, back to your original question, I mean, um, we, uh, we provide... Uh, so much to the player and in, in addition we have a, a concussion management program which is important in today's environment for sure and that's been in place actually for about 15 years old the style of play on the ice we were the first league at any level to say you know what there's no such thing as a legal check to the head that was 2006 and I can remember when we put that in play a lot of people yes. made comments 
We've all we've come a long way as a hockey community. Even ten years ago, Outstanding. now it's now it's everyone's outraged by any head hit. But even ten years ago, it was like, oh, toughen up. You know, head hits are yeah. are just part of the game. When it just seems crazy to think that way now. Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. So I mean, we we've addressed needs on the ice. Uh, we have an anti-doping uh, drug education program, which is so important to young people. We have a program with the Canadian Mental Health Association, where all the players go through a a training program to recognize the symptoms. And it's not so much in themselves, but hey, if you see a teammate or someone else, we had an example, very uh, incredible uh, example, where in Peterborough, one of the players uh, went to his teacher at school and said, you know. I heard about that, yeah. You know, it was a young lady. I'm worried based on what, you know, and they checked. And yeah, she needed support. And so, and you know, we have people on staff that get, what they call trainer uh, uh, programs to educate them. So that, that's been huge. We, we put in a new program called Onside last year, which is designed, once again, a seminar to educate players on the importance of proper behavior and how to deal with females. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I mean... Uh, that's a really tough... Uh tough spot for the league because uh, you know these players have social media accounts and they're their own individual people they can you know technically say whatever they want but you're trying to encourage them to be uh, i guess gentlemen is really what what or encourage them to be good people correct and you know i think initially when social media was gaining such a such traction among young people they didn't maybe realize that that would stay with them for the rest of their lives Mm -hmm. you know so that's an education program there and, and, and one thing and another. So I think all these things, I mean, uh, we had uh, Brock McGillis come and speak to all our general managers and coaches. Uh, Brock played in our league. Brock was the first, I think, known hockey player who openly admitted that he was gay. Uh, he took our owners and managers through his experiences. Uh, we're now uh, working with Brock to set up seminars for his uh, presentations to players. It's all about education. Yeah. And you know the great thing about young people, John? They get it. Mm-hmm. And they, they embrace... They're impressionable. Uh, At least most of them are. <laughs> oh, yeah, of yeah. course. But very, And you can learn so much from them, yeah. too. Uh, on a lot of these things, I don't think the young people are the issue. I think some older people yeah. need some education. <laughs> but, uh, no, I mean, uh, it, it's such a neat part of... Uh, of these young people's lives, and we recognize that and the things that uh, we do and, and support them with. So I want to talk more about uh, player safety and, and your strong stance on making the game, you know, <laughs> just safer in general. But before we get to that, so just last last uh, topic or last thoughts on, on player rights. So with the lawsuit and with min- minimum wage, is basically your main stance, your bottom line um, idea is that hey, we provide more than than what they're asking for with minimum wage. So so why are we why are we in this situation? Does that what is that what it comes down to? Where you're you're saying look at what we're doing, and you know minimum wage we're doing above that. So just let's keep it as it is. Uh, that isn't really what we're saying. Uh, we don't think our players are employees. So minimum wage does not apply. Right. And uh, uh, 
what I've just described to you uh, is just an effort to show that no one is taking advantage of these young players. Uh, it's documented. It's clear that in a given year, half our teams don't make money. You know, some are marginal. Yeah, there's a few that do. But I mean, hey, uh, what we provide to the players is huge. So I mean, what what we're uh, trying to point out is uh, we have a responsibility as well to protect uh, the amateur hockey system. We are members of Hockey Canada yeah. and USA Hockey. You uh, sport, they can't afford to pay uh, their players more than what they provide now. Yeah. Not unlike us in terms of uh, scholarship support and, and other things. And, 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 and like, so, you know, there's, there's tier two hockey. There's midget hockey. Like when you look at the, it's all scaled, is what you're saying. Like, well, no, but it, what's the difference? Where do you right, draw the right, line? Right. You yeah. know, uh, what about gymnastics? What about figure skating? I mean, uh, if 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 sport is now going to have to pay minimum wage, we're not going to have the ability to provide programs to the level to the extent we currently do. And I don't want to get into that because it sounds like, hey, we don't get our way, we're going to take our pocket yeah. home. Yeah. Not at all. Hey, we're, we're proud of what we do. And uh, as I said, it allows us to provide explanation uh, to people that really don't know us, the extent to which we support our players uh, financially and otherwise. Okay, let's talk about um, the steps you've taken to make the game uh, a better place. You have cut down or, or come down on, on fighting on headshots, where does this come from? Where does it is there is it is there one incident where you went this needs to stop, or is it just something that built up over time where now you feel so strongly about it? Yeah, I, I mean, uh, I think one of the things that I tried to do was create a culture among our our teams, and I kind of like to keep things simple because I'm a simple guy, and I viewed my role as commissioner as like being a coach. And I got 20 teams, I got 20 players. And, and we're very fortunate with the quality of people we have at ownership, at general managing, coaching. Uh, you know, a lot of bright people, a lot of people that care. When you look at the makeup of our coaches and general managers, and now even in ownership, invariably they played in our league. And they understand what they went through, uh, et cetera, et cetera. They understand that, you know, our players may not, Turn out to be NHL players. We got to make sure we prepare them for life, and make sure they can live a normal life, etc., uh, etc. Et hey, we want to attract the best young players, and, and and be able to look at families and say, you know what? Uh, hey, hockey's a tough game, but it, we're working to eliminate needless, yep. you know, issues that could, you know, injure your son from playing, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, I think. Uh, we work to create a culture and an understanding. And uh, I mean, uh, it uh, was always early on good for discussion, but I think what we started to see was some incredible positive results uh, about uh, the need to uh, fighting. Well, I was just going to say, like, the, the statistics with that have just plummeted since you guys took a hard line and said, oh, you want to fight 10 times a year? Well, you're also going to get suspended. Like, yeah. I think stuff like that, it's proactive, whereas um, if you're reactive, then maybe the player just keeps doing what, what he does, right? Right, right. So, I mean, that that was a special committee that we put together. 
and that that committee came up with the concept and and uh, quite frankly what it was originally designed for John was that our stats were showing us that there was a small number of players who were habitual fighters mm-hmm. and giving as bad as this sounds fighting a bad name yeah let's attack them and then lo and behold wow the numbers started to really drop and uh, I, I mean we were seeing that um, initially about 60% of our players didn't have a fight, you know. And uh, then it's just grown from there as well. And you just look at our game and, you know, the speed, the skill. I mean, fighting's not needed. We've got a great, great game. And, and I think some leagues at some point in time in their evolution, and I don't believe we were one of them that yeah. sold – fighting let's sell our game yep let's sell our athletes especially at your guys level where a 20 year old might be fighting a 16 year old i mean like the difference in strength uh, is is usually pretty pretty there's a pretty big gap there no question and and you know what i mean there's what they call the law of the jungle where yeah. that shouldn't happen <laughs> yeah ideally and, and yeah. let me give you another mcdavid story if i could sure uh, after the first year in the league, uh, now we're at the OHL Awards function, and yeah. Brian McDavid grabbed me and he said, hey, Dave, I just want to share a story with you where there was a game and Connor, uh, you know, was in a situation where a player from the other team was challenging him to a fight. And the players that was trying to fight him, his teammate grabbed him and said, hey, what are you doing? You know, he's 16 years old. Yeah. You know. And it's know, good that there's there's you know yeah. an understanding around the league. Well, but the, or you would think there you, is. That's you would think there is. <laughs> uh, there used to be more, but I think the respect factor. Uh, but we while we lost some of that, we built up other means to say that's unacceptable behavior. So at any rate, it's uh, been something that we saw that uh, was really really positive, and then. Headshots. Yeah, you you just handed out to uh, two ten game suspensions the other day, and it just seems like kind of uh, you know just another day in the OHL because you've decided that this is unacceptable. And in the past, you've given out ten games, you know, twenty games, twenty five. Uh, you've never been afraid to. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure these teams get upset when one of their players gets gets expen- suspended for a long time, but you've never been afraid to take that step. Right. I, I mean, uh, in the infancy of some of these significant suspensions, an understanding that our the owners said, hey, Dave, you know what? we got to raise the bar here. Uh, as well, another interesting form we have is that annually we get our overage players together. Oh, interesting. We call it an exit interview. Yeah. And we have certain things that we go at them with, and then we leave them alone. Mm-hmm. And we have a, an alumnus who is a facilitator, all designed to generate it's a good idea. For uh, feedback. And I can remember sitting in one of the sessions and we talked about suspensions. And, hey, you know, the head checking. It was interesting. They said, hey, just suspend them more. Raise the level. Yeah, you simple know? as that. And, and so, yeah, it's worked well. Initially, you'd get pushback by teams, fans, others. Now, virtually no feedback. Because to your point, it's become a standard, I guess. It's a standard, but there's we have uh, more information out there. We more people understand the devastating or potential devastating results of 
blows to the head. It also helps you guys release videos with an explanation because um, some people might just see it and, and you know cast judgment, but then you guys explain well. You know, primary contact was ahead. Uh, you know, the guy got injured. There was you know there was a loose puck right there, and he, he completely just went for the head. You know what I mean? There's when you break it down, it, you you're all of a sudden like, okay, I can see ten games, see right? That. Yeah. And, and uh, hey, you know what? It's called R and D, right? Yeah. Research and duplicate. <laughs> and uh, Brendan Shanahan. Yeah. We stole he was a, a page from his book. He he, to my uh, recollection, understanding was the first to do that. I think so. In the NHL yeah. uh, Department of Justice. <laughs> but uh, yes, and, and you know what? We've had great feedback on that. Uh, for to, maybe great isn't the right word, but we've had good feedback yes. because uh, it does allow people to. Maybe it's transparent, it. right? Very much so. Yeah. Um, is there a next step in in helping with player safety? Like, I think okay, the CFL recently decided they're going to have non contact practices. Like, are you thinking of of different avenues to go down to make the game even safer than it is? Well, I mean, to say no wouldn't be the right answer. Uh, of course, I mean you're always challenging. Okay, and our main thrust and everything we do because we're dealing with young people, is education and, and so forth. Uh, we put together a concussion video to show yep. them, et cetera, and, and other uh, elements and hitting from behind. And that, you know, fortunately, and you, you know what I mean, it just takes one bad hit from behind to rear its ugly head, but you don't see that mm-hmm. as much as you used to. And that's as the result of a lot of work by a lot of people. But... Uh, I, I mean, the interesting question now, and you're starting to hear it uh, out and about, is the game's too fast. Yeah. Boy, where's it going? Yeah. And uh, someone's going to get really hurt here because they're traveling it, too fast. Even if it's just unintentional contact, like a guy looking the other way and he runs into the guy going 100 miles an hour. Yeah. Or, or heaven forbid, loses an edge and yeah. goes crashing into the boards. Uh, I, it's I, tough to – I don't know how you uh, you help the situation in that case because you want to promote fast, skilled hockey, but then, like you said, like I'm just picturing a guy, you know, losing an edge at the hash marks and just sliding into the boards and breaking his leg or something like, like God forbid, right? But, right. you know, if the game gets faster, those injuries are, are going to be worse. Right. So, I mean – I don't know how you – do you know how to con- combat that? No, because I don't think you want to go back to hitting – Hooking and holding no. and, you know, all these restraining maneuvers that used to be in place. Um, I mean, uh, I right now don't have an answer for it. Uh, I mean, I over dinner last night, actually, I was with one of my boys and we were talking about the game and where it was going. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I offered up to him that, you know, one of the great things that has happened to our game is with the emphasis on speed and skill and the removal of a lot of things that did nothing for our game, from a physical standpoint of fighting and the like, the smaller statue player can come back and play in our yep. game. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Tony Tante, uh, you know, last Saturday, it was, I was in Oshawa, and they retired his number 22. A lot of people may not remember Tony Tante, but when he played in our league, he was a little guy. Yeah. Okay? Broke Wayne Gretzky's record for most goals in a single season, 87 imp- as a rookie. That's incredible. Incredible. Yeah. I said to Tony, I said, hey, Tony, do you ever think you came along at the wrong time? Because he had some big-time years in the NHL, with Chicago and Vancouver and, and the like, and 40-plus goal seasons. And he said, oh, Dave, you know what? At the end of the year, my body was just oh, bruised. Just punished. You know, and punished is the word. 
And he said, yeah, I would like that, you know. But uh, I think that's been a positive, is, is now getting more skilled players. And if you're not, uh, if you're, as they say, vertically challenged, you, 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 there's a place for you, you know. But I said to my boy, I said, you know what? It was, was this Barclay or? Yeah, Barclay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, uh, GM of the Firebirds. Yeah. He, we had dinner last night and he was heading off to Flint uh, today. And, and I said, he said, where do you think it's going? And I said, I, I wish I knew. But I said, all I know is the, the skill set that you look at uh, now for a defenseman is entirely different. The stay-at-home guy has gone. Uh, you now hear, and I go to enough coaching clinics because I think it helps to keep me current. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, D-men are now used as part of the forecheck almost, particularly when you're in the offensive zone. You know, I said, I, I've, I wonder if there's going to be a blending of uh, positions where. Yep. Kind of five-man units moving in one direction, moving in the other yeah, direction. Yeah, you know, so, uh, but who knows? Yeah. I mean, that's the uh, fascinating thing is about coaches. And, you know, how they really are the drivers of where the game is going. And, and aren't we lucky in this market that we have a Mike Babcock uh, and, you know, a, a style of play that will influence mm-hmm. minor hockey. Oh, for sure. In this province and other areas because of the, of the Toronto Maple Leaf brand. And it, to me, it's all about speed and skill. And... Uh, I've become a Toronto Maple Leaf fan <laughs> openly. <laughs> yeah, well, that's fair. You can you can like uh, NHL teams all you want. Um, before I let you go, and, and thanks a lot for for your time. Um, you you sit on the uh, Hockey Hall of Fame committee. That that must be a really cool honor. And how long have you been uh, been sitting on it? Since two thousand and nine. Wow. Yeah, and it, it, it is it is cool. Like, I mean, I don't know if you can uh, give me inside stories, so to speak, but. Do the debates get heated or? Uh, well, I've got to be very guarded. Uh, you sign a, a confidentiality agreement. Uh, maybe I can, without prejudicing anything, characterize it that the people around the table are professionals. Yeah. They're special people. I'm not sure I fit in. I'm never <laughs> junior hockey. But, but you're a different voice, right? Like a lot of them are, are just plugged into NHL or. Yeah, I, I suppose you could look at former it that players way. like you're you're coming yeah. from a different angle. Correct, and yeah. and and as professional as they are as people, very professional in their discussions, very open minded, uh, willing to concede. You know, and I didn't know that about that uh, player or the builder, and and it's been a such a uh, you know it's an experience I always look forward to. Uh, wow. It's good to hear that guys don't just come into the room and go, this guy needs to get in. I don't want to hear anything you guys have to say. And that's their 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 vote. And it's good that, like, do you see guys getting swayed? And they're like, well, I don't know if swayed is the right word, but getting educated and then maybe going, uh, maybe maybe I like this guy more than that guy. I Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, no. I, I mean, there's an open mind. And, uh, I mean, there's some excellent information that uh, presenters provide and it opens your eyes or you know it opens your mind so it's uh, a very healthy positive uh, process I feel you know and uh, yeah it's always exciting uh, to go to those meetings awesome Dave I uh, really appreciate your time and uh, thanks for coming on my pleasure thank you for all your time 